Hi there, I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock band Southern Resident Killer Whales. And I am Chris Finch's record, and welcome to Timberwolves <laughs> Tip to Tap, the only podcast in the world featuring the world-class Minnesota craft beer scene and the playoff class Minnesota Timberwolves. Dan. Yeah, this episode is really overdue. I, I I didn't actually check back to see when our most recent one we did was, but it may have been that one that we did when I was down visiting my mom in Iowa, but it's just kind of crazy. We're, we're semi trying to maybe get a little more formality around, like, let's try to get one of these out every couple of weeks, but it's it's been pretty bad. And we've had a couple like false starts because you had some crazy town going on in the personal front with like family sickness and weird stuff going on and so we had to cancel a couple times with a guest we'd planned which is really unfortunate but we're going to try to have some uh a little more regular guests on going forward but again today you just have josh and dan and yeah chris finch's record if you aren't aware that josh is the mastermind behind that uh brilliant bit which very complex uh very complex <laughs> he's like <laughs> you know, yeah Dan, you're i go lane. from I go from about two likes per post to for the Finch's first, you know, hundred plus, plus games. The moment he hits 500, hundreds of likes. But I'll tell you, every uh, every time the Wolves lose, it's back to normal. So he's got to <laughs> keep winning. For the, well, I just uh, hope you're still maintaining that account when he someday passes Flip Saunders. Yeah. You're, you're like suddenly you're on Sports Center. Yeah, yeah, that might that actually may be may be true. So, Dan, right. what do you have for us to kick us off here? Well, I wanted to say something about how you know we 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 could have done a podcast when they were nine out of their last ten games. We could have done a podcast after they kicked Dallas's ass. We were in fact planned for those couple Try moments. To. I think, yeah. <laughs> um, but instead, we're coming off that Boston loss. And like three of the last four, but I will say, you know, uh, I'll refer to Hilton's first law of takes, which is that if your take cannot survive an ass kicking one way or the other, then it's really not worth a take. It's not a take worth hanging on to. Like you need to have some, um, you need to have some sustainability built into takes that you have. So I'm, we're going to go ahead and, and plow forward with, more or less a show that we kind of planned a a week or so ago. I had made some notes and we'll, uh, we'll just move on through this, but let's start by um, finding out what you're drinking or what you have been drinking lately, Josh. You know, pre my fainting episode that sent me into the emergency room, Dan, (laughs) I had purchased some really good beer (laughs) that uh, I got a uh, a four pack of false patterns. Did you drink the... the beer immediately before fainting? That's what people <laughs> really want to know. I did not. No. The I got a four pack of modest false pattern. I got a a hazy from Omni Brewing, and then uh, there is the brewery. It's out of I want to say Michigan, where former Surly head brewer Todd Haug is now the head brewer, uh, which. I kind of like to say that those are an honorary Minnesota beer since Surly's original mm. head brewer <laughs> now uh, brews there. What is the brewery behind that? It's, Dan, it's, is it one of their is, huge ones? 
it's well it's war pigs is the oh, okay uh, All right. uh, the war pigs brewing but i also have a sampler pack of numerous ipas in there but the one i've drank most recently dan is the false pattern from modest brewing it is a soft hazy pale ale made from oats and heavily hopped with simcoe and mosaic uh, in terms of an actual pale ale it's by far and away my favorite one because it has like in some cases like the nice full flavor that you expect with an ipa but it doesn't quite have the bite but it's also not as like uh I don't, you know how like all hazies seem to taste the same they do mm-hmm. anywhere like there's such a like hard to tell one hazy apart from another. This is one that for me has uh, lasted a bit in terms of, okay, that's a hazy that isn't like super juicy like every other hazy, but mm-hmm. it's like a flavorful pale ale that uh, feels as almost like a, an IPA, but isn't quite as, doesn't quite have the bite. And so Modest False Pattern, which, you know, the name, it makes me think about, um, you know, false patterns that you can sometimes pick up Ooh. on in, over the course of a season where, as you say, the most recent thing that has happened is not the only thing that's happened. And when people start losing their minds about something very recent, you could say they're, they've been caught up in a false pattern. It's true. And you've liked the false pattern for some time. Like they, yeah, they've yeah. had that around for a bit and you're a big modest guy. Um, th- that reminds me, I, I don't, I don't know why it reminded me specifically, but I, we, my wife and I went out to fair state over the weekend in Northeast Minneapolis and they had a barrel aged stout vanilla stout, which was just, it was like 12% ABV and just sweet and chocolatey and delicious. Even though it was vanilla, it tasted chocolatey to me Mm. (laughs) more so as I drank more. She'll only drink like three ounces of one of those. So I had to finish hers as well as, drink my own, you know, the burden. Um, but they also had an experimental like mystery pale ale and like they made kind of a big deal about the mystery. And I was up there talking to the, the tap room guy and asked him like, okay, is it like, but what, what's the deal really? Like what kind of hops they were like, you know, mystery hops. And he said, no, we worked with a place that's doing some experimental sort of stuff with their, the, the, the raising of the hops. And we literally contractually cannot reveal what's in the hops, but he's like, this is my favorite beer we have on tap. So um, I tried it and it was wonderful. It was um, sort of like a, a mosaic-y kind of that fruity explosion thing, but just really, really flavorful on tap. I would recommend that heavily. Right now, even though I'm supposed to go for a run and a workout after this podcast, I'm drinking a tall boy from Oedipal's, the lunar, like loon, loons in the lake, lunar eclipse, Czech-style dark lager. I think Oedipal's um, down in the Bryn Mawr neighborhood of Minneapolis is a wonderful brewery for helping you, anyone who's really into extreme beer culture and like the explosions of abv or the explosions of hops uh can be reminded that there's a lot of subtleties and joy to be found in some some of the more milder european styles and there was a a mixed pack at liquor boy at a uh deal that I could not pass up and I've been really enjoying um going through the beers I am right now so this 
Czech style dark lager. Um, and they have a, a wonderful, as we've said many times, we podcasted or we attempted to podcast from there live. One of the nicest spaces, especially as the weather turns wonderful patio overlooking Bassett Creek. And just on a personal note, um, because of various financial calamities in my life, my wife and I are probably not going to go on a trip for our 25th wedding anniversary this year. But one thing we are going to do if we get those walls rebates checks is buy a couple of our own kayaks. Oh, you're maybe doing it. Okay. we yeah. can do that plan that we've always talked about where we put in kayaks in Bassett Creek, kind of find out where the origin is, kayak through Theodore Worth Park, beach them at Oodipoles. <laughs> Have a couple right of beers. Up the hill, have some beers. I'm in. I'm <laughs> and then in. try to pull out before it goes into a tunnel underneath downtown Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Make sure we catch that at the right moment. But that still looking forward to maybe doing that this summer. So with that, the beer talk. That's a little long uh, for us there. But as you say, there's no time limit on podcasts. We're going to move on All and right, talk wolves. Kid. Yeah, so... Hot or cold, where are you at now with the true home stretch of the season? Uh, now just a handful of games left. What is your level of excitement as we sit in the seven seed, but not far from the six seed, but with a difficult schedule ahead? What's your excitement level? Um, I'm at my perpetual eight, which I, I still say in the big scheme of things, what we've accomplished this year, where we're headed like right on track, like right on a very optimistic track. Um, there's a couple concerning elements from some nagging injury stuff, sort of lack of offensive production from Ant and Delo, but yet on balance, we've got like a really good team right now. Uh, where are you at? I struggle with this one a little bit, Dan, because I'm usually the overly excited guy. Mm-hmm. And you may remember a couple of weeks back when we were having beer at Prize, and I had said, I think this team's floor is losing the play-in and missing the playoffs, and this team's ceiling is making the NBA Finals, and that it like that all of those are in play, and that I had almost as much concern about them losing the play-in and missing the playoffs entirely as I do excitement about making some kind of playoff run. And I have not paid a ton of attention to Phoenix all year long. You know, you see that sort of gaudy record. And, but for me, Phoenix has kind of been one of those like, eh, okay, they got a great record, but are they really that good? And since they played the Wolves just a couple of games back, I've started to pay a little bit more attention to them. Josh is about to go out on the limb on a, on a limb about Phoenix here. <laughs> you may remember I texted to you. I just said that like, unless Booker or maybe Aiton gets injured that like, I think that team's going to the NBA finals easily. They get through the West easily now. Um, and I think even like losing Chris Paul is survivable for them now. And so that like puts a little tamp down on my excitement for the wolves right now. It has been like my my second favorite or maybe favorite wolf season ever as a fan, right? Like this is ranks way up there in terms of mm-hmm. enjoyable team, loved it. But in terms of overall excitement right now, I'm probably like a six and a half or a seven. 
Oh, wow. Just because I, um, yeah, I, it may be based out of just nerves in that I think Phoenix gets through the West easily. And I'm nervous about what comes over these next few days in a way that tamps down my excitement, not my enjoyment. It doesn't mm-hmm. tamp down my enjoyment or fun, but my like excitement around, all right. Um, so I'm, I'm almost getting the, the home stretch nerves, Dan. I'm getting the, the Hilton shakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, here, do we know that it wasn't nerves over <laughs> the state of the Timberwolves that resulted in the various physiological things that sent you into the the emergency room josh <laughs> you know, it's it is possible because we had that game come it was last sunday and then the next night we had that big game against dallas in dallas and and maybe i was just yeah too worked up about it and yeah and no cracked. so well, let, let me make you feel a little bit better a little more excited it, yeah. we do have home court for any play in games yeah that's the thing that people should really keep in mind is like we are finding it's the difference between what happened down in Dallas and what happened when Dallas came to Minnesota. And so I think we're going to, as much as I I, I do agree that, you know, it's a little daunting given that New Orleans and the Clippers have both kind of been a bugaboo for the Wolves this year. And they are teams that we are likely to face and play in. But, you know, we got, we got two games at home play in assuming that we don't you know we may yet still overtake denver which would be just super but okay but wow it it really took it really took the wolves being 11 or whatever it is now are we 10 games over 500 really took wolves being 10 games over 500 to finally bring josh down to a six out of (laughs) ten in excitement level right so what but what are you most excited about right now dan I'm most excited that it's very likely we're going to make the playoffs. And but I, I've kind of gone from like being in the play-in is not, it's not like you you know that you're in the playoffs. You you know it when you see it. <laughs> and like if we lose in the play-in, it's not going to feel like we were in the playoffs. So all that said, I think it's likely the Wolves get in the playoffs. And once that happens. I'm willing to say mission accomplished for the season, almost regardless of outcome. I mean, I'm assuming they would play competitively, but um, uh, yeah, I'm just excited about that. I'm really excited that we're seeing the best version of cat that we've ever seen mm-hmm. that, Ooh, this is a take I didn't think of until this moment. But when you look around, like the whole thing is we've been saying all year is see what happens when cat finally gets some help like all these other years, he's, you know, the Timberwolves finished with this losing record and he's putting up the numbers. And it's like, well, put any other star on this team around this terrible roster, but you know what? (laughs) He's not actually getting a whole lot of help right now. And he's still dominating. And that's pretty exciting to see. And granted they've lost three or four, but against, you know, very difficult teams. And, you know, with the exception of the Boston game, they're highly competitive, but I mean, we're seeing a version of cat right now that is kind of, until he gets into foul trouble, he's like, the team is on his back. And that's, it's pretty exciting to see that version of him, which we've not really seen for any sustained stretch in his career. How about you? What are you excited about? Well, I was going to say one thing on cat. I mean, his, 
growth this season has been incredible from early season to now because you remember that stretch early in the season when it seemed kind of like the book on how to defend him was out you know they put a smaller person on him double team comes and then you know we're just sort of uh flailing from that point uh and just his own flailing you know <laughs> early on to now being like the maximal version of himself and dominating the way that he is uh, is very exciting and i would say for me like this season no matter what else happens is a full success mm. and it's something to really build on long term which might be a playoff run this year which would be so exciting and mm -hmm. fun or it might be like really setting a table to move into one of the top three uh, teams in the West moving forward. So I am most excited about the near future potential of the playoffs, but really the, I think, I think we might have the pieces in place to have like five really fun years as Wolves fans, which we have mm. never been able to have before of like the expectation of, right? Like we haven't had it since the KG era, right? Of mm -hmm. his expectation of coming in and I'd say and the thing that maybe even separates this apart from those early KG years is maybe we have the expectation of contending versus just like perennial playoffs. I'll take perennial playoffs, but I think, yeah, I, I, I do think we were foundation for contending for the long term. Coming out of the Sam Mitchell coached year, cats rookie year. That was a pretty, if you're talking about like, ooh, what are the next five years going to be like as a Wolves fan? And we have something we're really looking forward to. That was a moment in time where there was a lot seemingly to look forward to. And then the whole Tibbs, you know, experiment happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but w I think that's worth noting. It was interesting that you said that like full on success, regardless of what happens, would you include we, we that floor? Uh, vision that you had of we, we somehow don't get past the plan. Is this season still a full on success? Yes, it is. Oh, in wow. My, in my mind, it would be it'd be a disappointing for that to happen now. But for me, that's still a very successful season. Uh, uh, a winning record, winning a good chunk over 40, 40 games, uh, exceeding I all national expectations and basically um, it, finishing at about where we had predicted coming into the year, which was still a reasonably optimistic uh, prediction that we had. They'd be in that range because we had predicted, what, six seed coming into the, yeah. the season. So if they end up in the seventh seed, it's not going to be by many games. And so I have to go back and ask myself, if you had told me we're going to win over 40 games, we're going to be competitive. We're going to go on some incredible win streaks, but we're going to like lose the plan. Would you take that for this year? I'd have said like, absolutely. I would take that for this year. And because I think you kind of sort of have to base that is a season, a success based on what were you expecting throughout and did it meet your expectations? And in our case, it has. And in the case of, uh, national expectations far exceeded what anybody else was expecting. And 
if it ended in a disappointment, it wouldn't mean for me that it would be unsuccessful. It would just be disappointing. So I've put a decent amount of, I don't know, effort already. I've sort of tamping down the idea that you need, and we'll be getting into this a little more, but the idea that you need to, or that, that you should like wildly recalibrate your expectations. So people come to the season, they think, you know, we'll be very fortunate if we finish 500 more likely it's something to build on. You finish with like 35, 36 wins, and then you build on it. And then midway through the season, we're having more success. So people start like recalibrating expectations. And I, I think it's okay to do that a little bit. I think the, the, the floor that we've now talked about where we're at, I, I think then to, if you're saying, you know, our floor is missing the play in and our ceiling is this to then hit the floor. I mean, you have recalibrated your expectations and then to hit the floor. I think that's a disappointment. And I think some of the stuff that we think that cat is maybe overcoming in terms of critics and the stuff that he's always here, you know, that you always hear and that the wolves aren't taken seriously. I think if, you know, after, especially now that the wolves have been established as villains and, you know, you know, you haven't really done anything, but you're out there taunting the Lakers and this and that. I think if we then go in and lay an egg in the play in and lose two games and don't make it, it's going to be hard not to think of that as a disappointment. So to that extent, I I'm, I'm willing to be like, Hey, come on, you got to show us enough at least to get into the playoffs. And this sort you're of like telling me, you're telling me if, the Wolves doing all that they have done. Uh-huh. If they do this play-in tournament, which is a little bit like a, a March Madness scenario of anything can happen in any given game, that if they happen to lose those two games in a row, you're going to say unsuccessful season. So when Iowa State was the number two seed and they got beat by Hampton as a number 15, was the, did they go into the summer feeling like the season was a success or a disappointment? To me, that's a bit different. Uh, it's to me. Well, you're the one that very, made the March Madness comparison, so I I'm just... making the March Madness comparison, and then anything can happen, and you're knocked out. Um, and that in the NBA, like as you, pretty much any team, especially at that level, uh, can beat any other team on any sort of given night. And so it just, I. I get what you're saying. I, I mean, Wolves Twitter will be a dumpster fire, and I imagine most people sort of fall on your side of like, yeah, what a letdown, what a disappointment. That was a failed. Season. I think it's fair to recalibrate this. There's, I think there's also there's there's no s- way that I would call this a failed season, no matter what happens from here on out. I just personally wouldn't do it. It's not black and white, you know. I, I think that there's sort of gradations. It's not an unmitigated failure, but I do think that. I mean, it's anything from like player psychology, they don't get past the play in like all those players thinking like everything we put into this year, all the excitement, all the camaraderie, Pat Bev is our spiritual advisor and all this. And it felt like a team of destiny. And then we lose to the Pelicans and the Spurs or whoever it is yeah. that, you know, I, Gosh, man, it, it's going to play into like fans believing in the team next year, ticket sales, like in all year, you're going to hear cat didn't get it done when it counted and did because how many players are going to have to underwhelm in those two games for that to happen. Everybody laid an egg on the biggest stage and all year, no matter what they accomplished. Yeah. Well, look what happened last year in the plan. 
And I just think it's gonna it's gonna sour everything to some extent. It's my take on that. And that's why it's like, no, I mean, you definitely you you know what you have to build on and you're gonna try to address things over the summer. But wow, we spent more time on the hype it up section than I was. Yeah. Well, well, take us upon take us into upon closer inspection. What are we what are we noticing, Dan, or what are you noticing? Yeah, well, I, I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, again, you know, one of our mission statements is kind of the, you know, we we were saying, well, about the sort of having stability, not being rash in any sort of takes or any sort of approaches. And last summer, we were f- foremost among the, want to run it back, and everyone else, well, not, not everyone else, right, but there was definitely a chorus of voices that were really upset that the wolves weren't making moves. And we're like, look, we had a, a promising, a promising end to the last season players starting to believe in each other. We wanted to like stay on target, you know, to see what happens, build a little, give Finch an off season, give cat a little bit of stability, see what happens seems to have been a success that approach and we approach the trade deadline if you're like get rid of malik beasley you know get rid of dorian prince or whatever you know it's like well you know let's tip to tap it's like let's stay the course there it's like the red leader in the trenches of the death star in star wars a new hope stay on target red leader died but what happened death star gone <laughs> We're saying stay on target. So that has been our, our, our thing all along is that like, let's give it some stability. Let's let's, we need a larger sample size of data points. Don't make these conclusions. All that said, I think we've, we've just about got our data points. We had a summer of stability, very little roster change. We've had a whole season for players to sort of show us what they got, how they fit in this system who can be consistent, who's not consistent, who's contributing in the ways we need them to contribute. And I actually think that this summer, this is the summer where you do make those upgrades. And so um, I think we'll get into this more in maybe a little bit, but I, 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 it's one of the reasons why, and I have this controversial, very, very, do, do I have this, to come up later in the episode. If not, I'll just say it now. Cause I, I was teasing this controversial uh, take that would just like, I couldn't even put it out on Twitter, Josh. It was too controversial. Oh People are going to be too upset. And I brought it up to you at that, when we were out at prize and you like poo pooed it. So we didn't even really talk about it, but I'm going to bring <laughs> it up again, which is that I almost think it would be bad for us to, I'm glad I, I'm glad we put down 40 bucks on them winning the Western Conference Finals because <laughs> I want there to be an, a good outcome from that because I actually think it would be dangerous for the Wolves to have lucky and un, sort of unwarranted super playoff success in an Atlanta Hawks sort of way. Right now they're building the foundation for measured success and I, I think about you, you think about 2019, 2020, both Phoenix and the Grizzlies go 34 and 39. You know, that was that bubble year. Memphis makes the play in. They, you know, they give a good effort, but they got knocked out. Phoenix 
wins their last eight, but still miss the, the playoffs. Then the next year, Phoenix fast tracks their rebuild, but they get Chris Paul. They bump it up to 51 wins. Memphis goes like 38 and 34, just winning record. They get in the playoffs. Oh, they win the first game. Was it against Utah? Give them a scare. Suddenly everyone's talking. John Morant is on the national radar. Now people are taking John Morant. They've, they're seeing him play for the first time ever. He's exciting everybody. They just give a good run, good effort, get knocked out by a superior team. Now, one year later, they're like one of the top four teams in the NBA. Phoenix is now taking steps forward. We, th- You and I both thought actually Chris Paul was a huge, huge part of that success. No, they're deep and good without Chris Paul. And so these are teams that like took these steps, put the pieces in place and had some measured success in getting to where they're at. And conversely, Atlanta <laughs> a little full of themselves. Little playoff success that was maybe a little beyond their means by for whatever circumstances, and they kind of sold out a bit in in the summer, you know, trade season. And gosh, I wouldn't trade places with Atlanta right now. And they were the NBA's darling. And it's kind of about like what sort of sustainability are are you building? And I, it seems to me like in terms of like a long when you talk about enjoying this team for the next five years if we made made some improbable run to like Western conference finals, it would be super fun. And I absolutely wouldn't see us repeating it, you know? And so then everything is kind of a disappointment by comparison and like, let's, let's get into the playoffs disappointment, not to get in the playoffs. Then let's take, you know, Memphis to seven games, win all our home games or, you know, maybe six games. Cause they're, they're really, really good. And players that we want to show up, show up. And then how excited are we in the off season? And then we do some roster tweaks, try to get a little bit better. And uh, so that's, it's kind of, uh, that's upon c- closer inspection. It's like, we got, we got almost all our data points that we need to, for, for Gupta to go to work this off season. Let's finish the season on a strong note. Um, but you but know, not this is why, too strong. Not too strong. <laughs> no, that's why we didn't sell out for something before the trade deadline, right? Like it, it was still about like we wouldn't have had those data points. Malik Beasley wouldn't have had his trade value. There's all these things that we've done that sort of that we've built ourselves into a position to have s- some success. You know, our, our players that are making in the teens for money, Torian Prince. Patrick, well, Patrick Beverly, he's under contract, but he is still tradable. But like Beverly, Prince, and uh, Beasley now all have have recovered enough trade value that they're like kind of worth about what they're getting paid. Maybe not Prince quite, but, you know, like we have those very valuable trade pieces available this summer. And we're going to know just where the holes are in our roster that we need to address. Man, so what's really interesting now is basically what you're saying to me is for next year, you do not want to run it back with this roster. No, I don't. No matter what happens. No, I don't. So the other thing that I think is kind of getting exposed right now, and feel free to jump in. I'm kind of dominating conversation here. But, um, you know, this thing I said earlier about Cat kind of doing it without the help right now. And it's, it's beginning to get, 
like a little concerning. I think often I've wondered like, how come there's players that like are really bad on defense and yet, you know, or, or bad on defense and yet you, they're sort of like superstar level talent, even though they're not necessarily two way players or whatever. And I think one of the things, there's this whole concept, it's a non-scientific concept, kind of old school, but the idea of putting pressure on the rim and somebody that like, you don't single cover them. So like Carmelo Anthony w- never was a guy that like really made teams a lot better. Like he was not sort of a foundational piece that you could build a team around, but yet there was something about him that was undeniable. And I think what it was is like, he would, if you tried to single cover Carmelo in his prime, he would kill you. Mm-hmm. Trey young will kill you. And I think that that's kind of the mark of a superstar. And we see Ant has that within him, but he's not taking advantage of it currently for whatever reason that we're not going to try to totally dissect probably today. Well, I am, but okay, oh, okay. But we yeah. need, but we need, we need somebody else on this team to take that mantle or else we won't get to that next level. And I will say as a, pro Delo podcast as we have been um i've been pretty disappointed over his lack of consistency this year um that like it you know he has the ability to constantly put pressure on the rim or put pressure on on the defense in a way that like enables teammates and I know he's done a, there's lots of ways in which he's exceeded our expectations as far as like quarterbacking defense and a lot of game management. But um, it, I think he's leaving a lot on the table on from an offensive standpoint. And I don't think even when we were, even when we were making our relatively underwhelming season predictions most of the Timberwolves fan base I don't think we pictured Ant having a much inferior post all-star break offensively to what he did last year that it, it makes you wonder where this team would be if Ant was scoring you know 24 25 points a game on 56% you know effective field goal percentage or something right now and, and, and making 37% of his step backs and cats kind of, you know, a little help here, but I'll just say the final point is that like the fact that we don't have a consistent, a really consistent one quarter after the other second offensive threat, is absolutely needs addressed this summer. So as you were laying that out, I was thinking of the Milwaukee Bucks in my head in that you have Giannis, who is just this undeniable uh, offensive threat, largely going to the hole. And you could say Cat is this undeniable offensive threat, both in, inside and outside. So let's say in this example, Cat's Giannis, right? Mm-hmm. And then in Milwaukee, your number two is Chris Middleton, right? Mm-hmm. And 
Chris Middleton is athleticism's different, but he's like a more consistent ant, I suppose, <laughs> or like ant is Chris Middleton in this scenario. And yet I just don't think this year ant is physically right. He hasn't been physically right for a long time. Uh, obviously we know this knee situation is there and that's one of my, when we have our freak out segment, which we can just bring this in, bring this in here is that the near-term and long-term impact of the health of Ant's knee is really significant in this because uh, he's not able to be that relentless uh, second offensive option, as you're saying. Like, And I think right now has everything to do with his physical tools that are not fully there right now due to injury and that maybe an off-season covers it and we're fine. But if it's not, that is a huge issue. And then uh, Milwaukee has Drew Holiday and we have D'Lo. Now, that's a really interesting <laughs> two people to try yeah. to compare, right? Because mm -hmm. Drew Holiday is this incredible defender and he's offensively capable, but his offensive upside is not the same as D'Lo's. But D'Lo has been quite inconsistent in terms of his offensive contributions outside of assists anyway that um, we need for us to be maximum Timberwolves, we do need D'Lo to be as good offensively as Drew Holiday is known for being defensively, right? Yeah. And that's our, our path. And so I guess I see what you're saying in that it is, you know, for this team to take the next level, we your max players – have to be relentless night in and night out. They just have to be. Or they have to be a lot more a, a lot more relentless than Ant and D'Lo have been offensively. I'll say a, a couple yeah. so on the Ant thing, I I get really uncomfortable talking about the whole like injury thing cuz like it's just pure speculation like we only know what the team you know, is telling us and it well, we has have been eyes too, Dan. Yeah. Right. But there's that whole thing about that. I think Dane has said it a number of times about like, they would be unbelievably foolish to be risking his future by having him play on a knee where like, there's any danger of some longer term thing. Like that would be unbelievably stupid and short-sighted and like, I can't believe that's going on. But the other thing is like, he's digging in and playing like great defense. Like yeah. there are, and he'll, he'll have like a 10.4 minute stretch. I, I think it's like very curious that I, I don't think I've ever seen a version of the wolves and I see very few teams. You'll have a team like imagine the mid, the sort of the mediocre player explosion thing that the Wolves always deal with some guy that just kind of goes off for a game. It's like, yeah. why is this? He's unstoppable for a game because it's some weird matchup thing or just some he's feeling it that night. And so players can unexpectedly have a big night. The Wolves have these players that can have like 15 point quarters <laughs> and then do nothing else. And I don't understand. I, I I just have not seen that in my experience. How that is so common. We'll get cat with the you know seventeen points in the first quarter, and then five points the rest of the way. And I get mm -hmm. that they're doing adjustments or whatever. But then, like, why is Ant like ten points in three minutes, and then don't hear from him? And 
So you have like, well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the explosions. Like he just hit three step back threes, which like yeah, did not you're, require. You're, you're, you're really refuting me really soundly there because, uh, you know, when you bring up the quite frisky defense and he does have what Britt calls those boomlets, you know, yeah, surges and then it's just back down. So I, yeah. And I kind of still also don't understand like D'Lo has that sort of languid feeling out the defense sort of way of, of, of moving about. He's got those long ass arms and like he's a big point guard. And I, I kind of actually don't understand in moments where the wolves are spaced out more, why he is not doing a little more. He is really good at getting to the rim, you know, and why is he not drawing in defenders and kicking out? It just seems like there's a lot left on the table because I've said this many times. I love taking it to the whole D-Lo. Mm-hmm. Like he's really good at that. And then when you combine it with his vision, like why are, why is that not more of a constant? I, this, this is getting very sort of picky in terms of, you know, how, how into the weeds I'm going, but it kind of goes back to that. It seems like he has it within him to put a constant pressure on the defense. But again, we go back to like, oh, we got one guy who's putting constant pressure on the defense. And then Torian Prince comes in and God love him. He actually, he and Noel kind of both do. Noel has the mindset to do exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy that's just like, hey, you know, it's like I'm playing. I feel like a lot of his moves are like you know, much better. But like when I was very young and I just like play in the backyard with your brother and you're like taking these just contorting your body around and finding ways to get shots off. And they would, it would kind of work a surprisingly amount, a surprising amount of time. And that's, that's Noel's game. And like, gosh, times I wish that you'd see a lot more of him and cat on the court at the same time for that, Mm. for that very reason. So aside from injury, then let's put that Mm. aside. Is it that this team is just tired? Are they tired? You know, not injured, but just like home stretch. You know, you're they're functioning at 75, 80% of max energy level, but their new max, some of them is, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair take. You know, that, that theory that with that style of defense, that there'd be a lull in the middle of the season. But the middle of the season was kind of where the Wolves turned it on. And maybe, maybe you're right. Like you can play this style of defense and with this amount of energy for two thirds of a season. And we've now done it for two thirds of a season. Yeah. <laughs> and like we're to that last third. I think it's an interesting theory. Um, Let me, uh, there was a really interesting post on Twitter from a, a Wolves fan. I'm going to botch this name. My apologies. Subcomandante Marcus mm. at. Compañero Marcus. And he said, I do is have that to poop, watch- Is that poop hat NBA? <laughs> let, me, let me read this here. <laughs> I do have to wonder if at what point it might be worthwhile for the Wolves to accept their fate as the seventh seed and allow some guys to rest slash chill a bit before the playoffs. Probably that's what I'd do if they lose against Denver on Wednesday or both of Boston and Toronto. Get Vando, Cat, and Ant at least a game off each, if not two or three get Nas, Bees, and hopefully Jaden back at full strength. 
get Jalen a ton of minutes to get back into full Jalen mode. I thought that was like, you know, that's probably the right question to be asking is at what point do you resign yourself to the seven seed? And if you lose to Denver and or Toronto, um, since we already lost to Boston in his scenario, and then you're like a game and a half, two games back, Denver has this easier schedule. We've kind of got the bear of a schedule. I yeah, I think from I here on out, our schedule isn't wanna, that it isn't that different than Denver. Push to the six seed, but I think it's a very fair point to bring up. I don't think our schedule is that different than Denver from here on out. I think we hit our most difficult stretch. So that that's oh, one thing to we note. Play Denver and Toronto. Yeah, but but yeah. if Den- but if we're a game and a half back from Denver and we lose to Denver, there's certainly the math and sort of scientific argument in favor of that. I think that we, we will often say on this podcast that like, you know, these players are not robots and they're like humans with real sort of psychological implications and everything. And I think, you know, a big part of that, I, I think you kind of maybe leave that up to the players a bit. Like how are these guys going to feel? It's like, Hey, you know, I know you lost seven of your last eight, but at least you're well rested for these two games against mm-hmm. these teams that have given you trouble all year. And maybe, maybe the psychological uh, impacts of ending the season on such a sad note or sad trombone is not worth it. And like, you'd rather, you know, you're going to find your energy in the playoffs probably. Um, I don't, I, I I can't answer that, but I'm, it makes, it, it makes, it, it smells to me of one of those decisions where like you're, you're making decisions like players are in a video game instead of like reacting to, you know, a defeatist attitude or a, you know, what, whatever sort of messaging they're getting from the coaching staff or the training staff. So, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, the Wolves are one of those teams that we don't seem to like rest players for rest, you know, um, sake yeah. in a way that uh, other teams do. So I, it's it'll strike in that balance uh, you know, this These, year i think we are establishing a winning culture and maybe next year we'll see a little bit more of a uh, and yet i'm a big fan of the the old school like if you're healthy you should be out there playing this is about the fans and the fans play to see you play pay to see you play and and yet i also see nba teams kind of understand some of the logic behind load management to an extent i mean we've been playing 11 guys this year you know that's a lot of rest and we had guys out with covid and so i mean there's been yeah there's been rest um and the one guy who had to play over the all-star break is the one guy that doesn't seem to need any rest (laughs) i actually love that about cat too because he's talked about that he's talked about how he gets stronger as the season goes on and like, you know what I really love? I love Cat, um, who uses the word dominate every other sentence in press conferences. I think we, like many people, have kind of been frustrated in the past with his like just wincing sort of level attempts to say like the right thing in press conferences and it seeming not very genuine. 
And this year as he's found more of his genuine voice and his genuine voice is someone that's like talking about, like I step on the court and I just want to dominate. And I, yeah, I came out and I pretty much dominated in the third quarter. Like yeah. I just love hearing, like I love super arrogant cat on the court because I, you know, aside from when it spills over into, you know, sort of entitlement on foul calls, but um that's the kind of that's the kind of leader I can believe in, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the time, Dan. Then, speaking of leaders, we can believe in for uh, Timberwolf power rankings. Uh, sure. So, um, well, starting at number five, and I got to say this whole this whole theme about cat and a little help here it's playing into the power rankings this time and feeling like, like who, who do you, you know, it used to be like, and is a no brainer D like doing really well. Those two guys did not make the power rankings this time around. We expect so much more. I think Jordan McLaughlin is a guy that, you know, he's not having quite the run he did in late January, early February, but he's still coming out and making things happen. And, far and away exceeding his contract in terms of the value he's given this team. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm loving my Jordan McLaughlin right now. I got him as number five. And at number four? I got Patrick Beverly, who continues to also be – like you talk about a guy that is consistently giving you something on this roster. He's in that collection of players. Number three. Same with Torian Prince. Uh, he was a complete afterthought at the beginning of this season, and he's turned out to be like the one guy right now who seems to be consistently hitting from outside. He can even put it on the floor a little bit, um, playing good defense. Um, n- notably, well, I guess Beverly's a starter, but I was going to say we got you know th- these guys that sh- are in the top five who are – should not be in the top five players on the team, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, what, do you, what do you have at number two, Dan? I got nobody, Josh. Nobody wow. has earned the number two spot in the Timberwolf Power Rankings I, this week. I, given, you know, that hurts, Dan. Uh, I think partly because, like, sometimes you, I just completely forget somebody I should be remembering. So, not, not necessarily, but. Rather than leaving it blank, couldn't you put Jalen Noel somewhere in these top five uh, power Mm. rankings? It seems to me in terms of, you know, we have this bench. This is one of the first times I can remember as a Wolves fan of having like legitimate confidence in the bench. That's like, oh, the starters are kind of playing it close. And then it's like kind of expect the bench to come in and really like assert some energy and put some points on the board. And they do. And Jalen Noel seems to be a big part of that and can, uh, really score almost just at will. It seems you, you don't see. like that. You, you're not, I was, you're not I was, that? I was gushing on Noel earlier this show. Yeah. I, I will say this for me, the jury is still out as to whether he is giving them back as much as he's getting them. <laughs> like I, I'm not convinced that when you talk about the guys that are, and and I did not like check plus minuses or anything before we started here, but when you talk about guys that like are the plus minus leaders on the team and like every time this guy's on the court, good things are happening. Like I 
don't feel like I see Jalen Noel come into the equation. And like, I love his bucket getting, but I'm not sure I love his bucket giving. And so <laughs> let me say that I will turn a little more specific attention to Noel, but I'm not sure I can say that the wolves are demonstrably like better when he's on the court in a way that would help him steal into this top five. So it, it's, it's possible. I'm, I'm, Missing something there, but <laughs> feeling stingy. All right, who's uh, <laughs> not surprisingly? Who do you have at number one in the power rankings? This I got uh, Timberwolves' best player, Cat, uh, who's um, on top of just the winning Western Conference Player of the Week twice since our last episode. It's pretty much uh, a done deal that he's going to be um, All NBA this year, which good for him. You know, like he's as good as other guys that get made all NBA and you know, it's, it's going to make him more happy to be here, which is going to, you know, just make for a better next five years. Well, and it's worth noting that the Timberwolves power rankings is not a ranking of the best Timberwolves players, but just who has the buzz, who has the energy, who's getting uh, attention and buzz from from the fans and of course factoring in their recent play as well. Cat number one. And so Josh, um, we, yeah. So we always uh, come around and ask you to offer up your sixth man. Who's Josh's sixth man for this episode. I want to do it. And it's not always a man. Sometimes it's a person, it's an entity. Uh, I want to do a sixth and seventh. I, I, what? I know. Uh, but for sixth man this time, it is head coach Chris Finch. He, mm. he reached the 500 uh, point in his record. He now sits at 59 and 58 in the record. And the reason I started that account is I remember in his opening press conference, they asked him, Coach Finch, how do you want to be judged? And all he said was, you know, by winning. Mm. And so he, he is winning and it's been a long road to 500 and above. But congrats to Coach Chris is Finch. He in your, is he in your winner's circle? <laughs> not yet not no. yet we're just barely over 500 right now and it might be under 500 by the end of this year depending on what happens with the, uh -huh. the rest of the season you never know and then for my seventh man i want to do timberwolves twitter follow jake's graphs mm. uh, you know jake has and, and in particular it just his merch you know the players are wearing the merch now and it seems to have really created yeah. some buzz in the Timberwolves community to have just a local individual making totally like new custom creative fun and different uh, merchandise to buy, whether that's a, a shirt or a hat or something that he has some really fun and interesting stuff. And he seems like he's just doing it as a fun side project, not as well. And so Jake's grass makes the power rankings this episode, Dan. And I think he's the only Timberwolf uh, tweeter that I'm aware of that has a higher percentage of his tweets are a bit than mine. <laughs> I think he's like 100% of his tweets are kind of a bit. Yeah. And I'm like maybe 55%. <laughs> I, I, my... I rank up there pretty high in my tweets being a bit too, Dan. Uh, well, yeah, okay. It's the coach's record. Um, yeah. <laughs> but your point stands. Your point no, stands. I, uh, you make a good point. All right. 
All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you think of anyone else who wants to join us for Timberwolf and Minnesota Craft Beer Talk, please let them know about us for Timberwolf Tip to Tap. I am Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton. And that will do it for our 20th episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Follow our Twitter at Tip to Tap. You spell out the word two. And through that handle, I'm a simple man. I talk mostly Timberwolves, general NBA, craft beer, and my dog, Murray. If following my musical career and getting more of my unfiltered worldview is what you're after, you can always check out my personal account at, at Dan Hilton Music. <sighs> In the close of our shows, I will often counsel moderation, imploring you to heed the words of D'Angelo Russell. It ain't sweet. Never too high, never too low, Josh. Huh. Folks, what if I had told you in November that we'd be around 10 games over 500 in March? Don't freak out. Don't get greedy. Don't do that, that thing that you do where you overlook things and find ways to seed the clouds of joy with the condensation nuclei of overreaction or grandstanding or worry. Make no mistake. This is a great time to be a Wolves fan. This is a young team on the rise, but a wise man once said, Rome wasn't built in a day. So enjoy this season. Enjoy this postseason. Don't overcomplicate things. Be good to each other. And this includes fellow humans on the internet. Even though they're at arm's length, they're still humans. Stay safe and go Wolves. Hoo. <laughs>